majesty. Thank you, God, for salvation. We bless you. So, God, we announce and we celebrate that there is nothing wrong with you. Although the world, although the world tries to uh, act like something's wrong with you, uh, there's nothing wrong with you. You are perfect in every last one of your ways. No matter what we're going through, even though what we are going through is imperfect, you're perfect. Somebody needed that right there. God, I'm glad I'm not what I'm going through. <laughs> Somebody need to hear that. I'm so glad that I'm not what I'm going through. But it's funny, even though we're not what we're going through, God works all things together for the good, for those who love him and are the called according to his purpose. And so even though our situations are imperfect, God perfects us through the imperfections of our situation. And so, God, we thank you that you are conforming us to the image of your son. We honor you and praise you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Everybody agree with that said? Amen. You ought to give God a praise. Well, if that don't give you an opportunity to give him a praise, I, my wife and I just found last week on Thursday that the virus that caused cancer has left her body. archaeological evidence to know that Jesus is real. I wish I had some help right there. Let me, let me, let me save some for the sermon because I want to bust open right now, but I'm so glad that he's a healing God. Oh God, if you think he's not still in the healing business. Let me explain something to you. Go to the doctors, but the Bible said that Asa God challenged him because he trusted the doctors and not the Lord. So we go to the doctors, but we trust the Lord. Oh, y'all not gonna talk back to me. Listen, <laughs> you can go through all the chemotherapy you want, 
You can go through all of the things to remove whatever has to do, but if the Lord doesn't step in. So I'm thankful, I'm thankful, I'm thankful. Um, before I get too emotional, um, you don't know how many times during my marriage I thought my wife would not see 45 years. You, you don't know what it's like to be in your 20s and wondering if your wife's going to live. But then God over and over and over again just kept proving himself strong and mighty and powerful. Woo. I told my wife, in my heart and mind, every time you get sick, my mind plans your funeral. But then my heart puts his faith in the Lord to go beyond the funeral. And so I'm thankful today that God has canceled yet another time where things could have turned out another way. So I thank the Lord. That's four times she's been healed of cancer. I'm thankful to God. Amen. Amen. All right. All right. Before I go back in. Ah, almost danced. Stand to your feet. God saved some energy for the sermon. Amen. Nothing like running out of breath in a praise. Amen. Amen. I thank God today. Can we give God one more hand? Hand praise for that. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yes, Lord. 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 1 through 15. It's what we'll be today in our series as we're going through 2 Corinthians. Almost done. Almost done. And we'll be jumping into other things in the scriptures, but we're still here. 2 Corinthians 11, 1 through 15. Start reading on three. One, two, three, go.
Amen, amen, amen. For our time today in our text, I would like to talk about Christians do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. Let's go before the Lord God Almighty. Father, we thank you for your might and your glory that knows no end. God, I pray that you would clarify things in our lives and stabilize us as believers to know that we walk in the truth and we have the truth and we don't have to search for the truth. Um, we have it and you continue to undergird us and affirm that we're yours and that your word is truth. Uh, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O oh God, our strength and our redeemer in whom we trust. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Everybody agree with that said? Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, in um, the Bible says, in later times, many will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons, liars seared as if in their own conscience with a branding iron. Uh, the Bible says, Jesus says that uh, many will come up claiming to be me, uh, but do not listen to them. If they say, come over here, he is there. Go over there, he is there. No, he said, he said, many will go out and they will attempt to deceive uh, many, even try to deceive the elect. And I believe uh, the prophecies of old in these passages are coming to pass like napalm. If you pay any attention to what's going on in the world or if you got any type of Facebook feed, the last two weeks have been filled with people communicating their denouncement of Christianity. Um, a young lady uh, talked about her denouncement of Christianity and gave her spill on why she was uh, walking away from Christianity or the church. And then uh, a guy that claimed to be a, a, a preacher and a, or a pastor and a worship leader and, 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 a, and a Christian artist uh, ended up saying that he left the Christian faith. And I'm always interested um, to know uh, why someone who claims, and I capitalize in all caps claims, uh, to be have had been a Christian, I'm always interested to know the reasoning behind what was so powerful that you found out that you're no longer a Christian. So I'm like, I got my popcorn and you know my, um, my, 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 you know what I'm saying, and, and some water or some lemonade or something, and I'm looking at the screen trying to get me some understandings of the depths of the things that I'm about to find out, because obviously something new happened that I don't know about and a whole lot of other people don't know about that gives us reasoning behind why a pastor who says he's a pastor left the faith. So one of the things that he said was the reason why he left the faith is because the Bible was created by oppressors. So I was like, oh, okay. Um, so I'm thinking to myself, like, when? Um, so he says 325 A.D. So I'm like, 325 A.D. at the Council of Nicaea. Okay, so you mean to tell me you don't know that the Bible was written over a 1,500-year period by about 40 authors over a 1,500-year period, and they're books uh, uh, connect with each other, but you're saying that the Bible was written in one year. In the year 325 AD, they created Christianity and the scriptures, even though the church fathers in North Africa were quoting the scriptures from 1 AD all the way up to 325 AD and past there. So, but the Bible was created in 325 AD by oppressors. Oh, Athanasius, who's called the Black Dwarf, 
from North Africa was one of the leading spokesmen for giving us the understanding of the hypostatic union based on Philippians chapter 2, 1 through 11, where he began to declare the two natures of Christ. Athanasius is from North Africa, and he was a short, stubby little guy with a round nose and dark, dark skin. But I mean, I thought it was the white man's religion, but you said it's the white man's religion, but I'm confused because whiteness didn't come up until about the late 1500s in the United States. And if you're saying the Southern Europeans were whites, the whiteness was created by uh, uh, Britain later on, so they didn't even consider them a part of the same nationality. So now you're saying there's a unified Europe that created a white man's religion, and they were at 25 AD, even though they didn't get Christianity until 1000 AD. So, so I'm kind of confused, and I'm, I'm, I'm going through that rant because there is this trend particularly among black millennials to be woke. Not knowing that you're going to sleep. Um, because the more and more I hear the foolishness of those who would say they were Christian, I would say you were never a Christian. Because to become a Christian isn't to make a decision to be in the church. Oh, y'all not gonna talk back to me. Y'all not going to talk back to me. We, we in the text. Um, uh, to, to be a Christian, listen, is to be redeemed by which when you have faith in Jesus Christ, yeah. who was not a white man with blonde hair and blue eyes, is that your hang up? And even if he was, who cares? But, but, but like he wasn't, so let's debunk that. He was probably from olive to dark skin complected and probably had woolly or curly, wavy Indian type hair like people buy out of the stores down the street. Y'all ain't talking back to me. It's okay. <laughs> so the recessive gene of blue eyes wouldn't have hit Semitic peoples. Ah, oh, help me today. This is simple stuff. But he died on the cross for our sins and got up from the grave on the third day. My concern is that we have such a shallow Christianity of our day where so many people are concerned about foolishness that any old body can bring up a false historicity and many who call themselves believers, which listen, I am not dumb enough to believe everybody in here believes the gospel. There are some of you on the sound of my voice that are on the borderline of belief. There are some of you that are in the faith and there are some of you that believe you believe, but you're in the church, but redemption and restoration and regeneration hasn't made itself into you. So let's not confuse a person that attended church with being the church. And so Paul, Paul opens up this text. This stuff ain't new, family. Like the devil has always been at work. The white man is not the devil. Let me, let me, uh, can, I, can I just say that real quick? There have been some horrific things that have been led by those who are white in history, but white people are not crafty enough to be the devil. So let me just debunk that. Now, let me help my white people to feel good. The target isn't on you. We love you because we're blood bought together as believers in Jesus Christ. 
So, so listen, listen, listen. Let me say this real quick. Don't let your anger towards the atrocities by white in history not make you to forget that if they confess Jesus as Lord and are really redeemed, they become your brother more than those according to the flesh that don't know Jesus. Okay, it's, it's okay. But see, that's not, that's not woke out there. See, in order to be woke in our world, you got to hate all white people even if they're Christian. Oh, that's okay. That's, but, but, but that's not the Bible. And I will not try to relate to woke, fallen Pan-Africanists by claiming and cursing white people who know Jesus. I'll just talk to my white brothers and sisters about privilege and race, but I'm not going to debunk their salvation if they know Jesus Christ. Okay, so, so that's it. So we got that out the way. We got that out the way. So Paul, so Paul is really challenging the church in a powerful way, in a very, very powerful way about deception. Somebody say deception. Listen, deception is not merely intellectual, it's spiritual. And if you don't treat deception as a spiritual issue, you're going to be off. And that brings me to my first point. God's people reject anything that devours their commitment to Jesus. God's people rejects anything that devours our or their commitment to Jesus. Look what Paul says in these beautiful verses. He said, I wish, he said, I wish you would bear with me. Uh, I, I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me. So, 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 so Paul, Paul, that means Paul about to amp up a little bit. See, this is the biblical exegetical language of the turn up. All right? So he's about to turn up. See, one thing, if you want to tick one of the apostles off, just act like you don't want to serve Jesus and call yourself a Christian. Like they're going to turn up. They're going to go from zero to 60 in two seconds, faster than a Bugatti. All right? And so, and so, and so what you got here, I'm sorry, it's a car that's $1.5 million. My bad. And so, and so, and so what, 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 what happens is, is that Paul is like, yo, like, do I really have to defend my spiritual authority? See, this is how you know. See, people who defend, see, there's, a, there's two types of defense. There's selfish defense, and there's God-centered defense. Can I, can I, can I park there for a minute? Self-centered defense means listen to whatever I say and don't check anything because I am the covering of the house. I don't, ain't none of y'all heard that before. Don't go to any other churches or get my permission to go to another church. If you go to this church and you have to call me every time you're going to be somewhere. I know nobody in... This church has ever heard that from any church in the world, but I just wanted to let you know that. But then there's the side that freely teaches and freely preaches and dares you to see God on it and stands in the truth of it. And so Paul's like, I'm about to talk some foolishness. In other words, I'm about to defend my apostolic authority, but look where he roots his authority of what he calls foolishness. In other words, and also the foolishness that he's talking about, do I really have to talk to you about being centered on Jesus? So, so, so his, his week goes in verse 2. He says, for I feel a divine jealousy. Somebody say divine jealousy. Divine. Yeah, this is dope. He says, I feel a divine jealousy for you. I love that. Since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Whenever my, my affections for Jesus wane, there are two verses I go to. I go to, as the deer pants for the water, so doth my soul pant for 
for thee. I, I, I like this one because it, 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 it points me to the fact of the least common denominator of the LCD of the Christian faith is devotion to Jesus. Now, what he says here is, he said, I, I got a divine jealousy for you. Now, now you got to understand, jealousy is, can be a good word in the Bible. The commandments and the Ten Commandments, God talks about worshiping him and him alone. When he says that, he says, because I'm jealous. Somebody say jealous. jealous. He says, I'm a jealous God. Now, the reason why God can be jealous is jealousy here isn't a negative term. This is not like the Martin Lawrence and Gina jealousy, right? Where Martin's just acting a fool because, or, 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 or you know, we're talking about uh, uh, George Jefferson jealousy, right? We're not talking about, some of y'all don't know what I'm talking about. It's okay. My 40 and ups got it, all right? They know who George Jefferson is. It's not Archie Bunker for my white folks. I got to make sure we have a diversity of TV shows that we talk about, you know? But some of y'all don't even know who Archie Bunker is, so yet I regress. So anyway, but, but, but biblical jealousy, biblical jealousy, Seinfeld, there you go. Um, friends, friends, there you go, friends. Biblical jealousy, I love y'all. See, we're a multi-ethnic church. You got to be diverse. Um, and so, and so, and so, and so, and so what, what, what's interesting is jealousy in the Bible is the ability to feel a way about what's authentically yours. In, in, in other words, a husband, and a, a husband or a wife who sees their spouse peeking at something else and trying to get at something else by God's design through covenant, have the right to be jealous because what's supposed to be theirs is being given to somebody else. That's biblical jealousy is when something that God has given to you, somebody gives to somebody else, you have the right to jealousy for it. Why? Because it's been authentically ordained as yours. That's why the commandments say, do not covet your neighbor's wife. Why? Because covetousness means a dissatisfaction with the blessings that God has given you. I wish I could spend some time on that, but that's another sermon when we go through the Ten Commandments. And so, and so, and so what we see here is this jealousy is God saying, the glory and devotion that's rightly mine should be given to me and not anyone else. That means God has the right to jam you up when you put your family above him. He has the right to jam you up when your work works so hard that you uh, don't have the energy to spend time with him. Oh, help me today, God. God, anything that gets in the way of the depth of intimacy that God has called you to, he has the right to call you to the carpet on it because what's rightfully his is being given to somebody else. And so, and so Paul says, I, 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 I'm, I'm jealous with a divine jealousy. He says, I have the jealousy of God towards you. Why does he have the jealousy of God towards you? He explains it in such beautiful, cultural, yet spiritually implemented format right here. Are right, y'all tracking with me? He says, I betrothed, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. So what he's utilizing is he's using rabbinic history or, 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 or the way in which the Jewish culture or Hebrew culture did marriage. So you couldn't just walk up on a little honey dip that you liked. You couldn't just be like, hey, shorty, how you doing? You know what I'm saying? My, my name is Eric. How you doing? You know, I, I, have I seen you somewhere before? Oh, man, you look real familiar. Oh, man, um, is it okay if we, you know, um, go out for some coffee? Uh, um, just, to, just to talk, just talk, no. No Netflix and chill, just talk. Um, so you couldn't do that back in their day. Some of y'all, it just went past you. Um, you, you. You couldn't do that in their day. Fathers 
were big in their daughter's lives. Help me today. And, 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 and a father would always have to know where his daughter was. They didn't have cell phones and all that. In other words, he oversaw her sexuality to make sure that he fought for her to remain a virgin. And because her being not a virgin could bring shame to the family and he could get less money through the betrothal, which points to her worth, not merely how much you'll get. So what would happen is a dude would talk to his pops and say, Pops, I want to holler at Shorty. He said, all right. Um, then he'd go to the Pops and say, what's up, man? Pops would be like, what you need? He, you know, he, he like Will Smith and Martin at the door, you know, and, and bad boys. You understand what I'm saying? They at the door, what you want, dog? He said, you know what I'm saying? You know, my, my, my son like your daughter. So what's his name? He's going to be like, yo, man, I need, like, what he does, he'll put an APB out about the dude. In other words, no dude can't just come in a dad's house and get at his daughter. So before you even talk to her, daddy gets talked to. Daddy check you out, say, all right, where he working? What you got? So, so they've been up working through, and then all of a sudden they get ready to be able to be married. And so the, the, the betrothal happens, and they agree upon the bride price, and then he gets ready, and she, every day she'd get ready. And then, but, but, but the issue is he had to be able to get the bride price. So if he didn't have the bride price, he had to go get a job. That's for free. Um, anyway, we'll come back to that another time. He wasn't always trying to start a business that never brought any money in the house because he was living in his mama's basement. That's a whole nother issue. Now, fellas, get mad at me if you want you. Come to New Man and get your weight up. Anyway, don't get mad at me. Don't get mad at me. You understand what I'm saying? Get your weight up. You don't understand what I'm saying? So, 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 um, so, so, so what would happen is, is they would, so this is awkward. So they would go, they would have a little house, a little thing in Majiggy. All the family would be standing out the whole city. It's awkward. The pops would hand a sheet to the son and say, hey, they lay it down. Boom. They would consummate the union. After they're finished, this is weird, ain't it? I just couldn't imagine that. He hands it out the window like, here, pops. <laughs> the father looks at it with the elders of the city. If there's no blood on it. They have to pay less for the girl because her value is different because there was an impurity. Paul is saying here, I betroth you to one husband as a pure virgin, as under Christ. We're in the betrothal period right now. Now, you got to understand betrothal in their day meant an actual marriage. It was legally binding. So, so, so what happens is, is Paul is challenging them that you shouldn't be letting anybody holler at you because you're already promised to Jesus Christ. <clears throat> that means you shouldn't be easily talked to. Some of y'all, oh God, I don't want to be vulgar. Some of y'all spiritually give it up too easily. Mm -hmm. Oh man, help me today. The, the text is saying, even if somebody works hard for it, whatever it is spiritually in your life, you shouldn't give it away because it's only for Jesus Christ. And so what Paul says is he says, he says, he says you're supposed to be a pure virgin. In other words, you're made pure by Jesus, not yourself. But what you do is you walk in the purity that Christ has given you through belief in his death, burial, and resurrection. In other words, remaining uh, in the faith. And look what he says next. This is gloriously beautiful, what he says. I love it. He says, but I am afraid. 
that as the serpent deceived Eve, by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. This is deep. So what he's saying is the church is the new Eve because Jesus is the new Adam. <laughs> and so now that Jesus is the new Adam, the, the better Adam, the church is supposed to be the better Eve. <laughs> so in other words, Jesus doesn't sit around while the devil talks to his bride like Adam did. Adam was standing there, the Bible says, and she gave to her husband with her. Jesus not like this punk dude y'all created. He's standing there like, talk to my shorty if you want to, homie. But then he said, you know what? You got it. And, he, and the devil started talking to you, bat him off, right? But what, where does that come from? Devotion to Christ. He says, led away by his cunning. So he says, like the devil's a crafty dude. He comes up with all types of stuff. And he, uh, he always comes up with stuff that you're not expecting. In other words, the devil ain't going to come with a pitchfork, even though he don't look like that, and some horns and red skin, like it's Tom and Jerry or something. You understand what I'm saying? The, the, listen, the devil going to come smooth, tailored suit, nice shoes, bespoke jacket. You understand? I'm sorry. Y'all know what that is. Um, he going to come nice. And so he's like, like you'll know him by his character, family. And so, and, so, and so he says, I don't want you to be led astray from sincerity. Some translations translate, I like this, simplicity. Now, simplicity doesn't mean simplistic. It means having things uncluttered so that you can clearly see and experience Jesus Christ. And so, 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 so in your walk with Christ, there has to be a level of sincerity and commitment in it, and, and, and in other words, and purity in devotion to him. And so this is a beautiful thing because that means that we don't go with the advances of the enemy. We submit to the glory of the one who saved us by his mercy and saved us by his grace and gave us the strength to follow him. Verse 4 says like this, if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus, then the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you readily put up with it. In other words, the Corinthians were spiritually immature. They were entertaining things that had nothing to do with the core of what it means to be a believer. And in our day, we, we look at the Corinthians like they're crazy, but some of us entertain some foolishness. You understand? In our day, what are the, what are the new Jesuses of our day that people try to get us to believe in? Horus and Osiris. Like, never existed. And they try to utilize that type of stuff on a prophet, but not God. Uh, 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 so, uh, he's a sociolo Jesus is a sociological hippie, if you will. The blonde hair, the blue-eyed Jesus. But then it goes to a different spirit. I'm, I'm sitting with the ancestors and all of that type of stuff. With, I'm just letting you know if an ancestor answers, run. <laughs> Let me get this for free. I had a, I had a family member, had a family member that um, had a really hard death of a spouse, really hard death of a spouse. They've been together for years and years and years and years. And they called me and they said, they said, they said, Eric, she visited me. I said, who? <laughs> they said, they said, my wife visited me and she came in the room and I smelled, you know, her presence was there and she just laid back in the bed with me and told me everything's going to be all right. I said, nah, that wasn't her. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, in Deuteronomy 18, it's something called familiar spirits. 
What is a familiar spirit? A familiar spirit is a spirit that's connected to someone you knew in this life. When they pass, a demon attempts to comfort you through taking on the identity of that person to draw you away from devotion to Jesus Christ. And then your life is now preoccupied with the death of that person versus the death of Jesus. You, you, you need to be careful at what you allow in the sphere of your existence as a believer. Uh, uh, it's interesting that the Jesus of the Bible that we worship is not any of those things. All of those debunkable realities of the Jesus we know predated the world. He even appeared in theophanies. He's worshipped by angels and humans and given the highest name in the universe, even above the name Yahweh. Not only that, he appeared in history. We see over and over and over again. Verse 6, he says, even if I'm unskilled in speaking, he said, even if you don't like my rhetoric, he says, I am not so in knowledge. He said, I'm a beast when I know, he said, I know my information. I, Paul just, Paul like, I know this sounds crazy. But Paul says, yo, I, I do know the Bible and the Lord and the gospel. He said, indeed, in every way we have made this plain to you in all things. Number two, godly leaders, this is, again, not being deceived, are willing to make significant sacrifices to promote the gospel. Look at what he says, because he's trying to debunk false leaders. Look at what he says, verse 7. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that I might, you might be exalted because I preached God's word to you free of charge. I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. Now, when it says he robbed churches, doesn't mean he went over there and took some bad offerings. Some of y'all are like, see, that's what I'm talking about. See, the church always on some offerings. And y'all always robbing somebody. Some, see, that's why I'm fooled with Christians. But he's not using the word rob in that way. The way he's using rob is he's saying, you should have been supporting me financially. But he says, I, because of where you were spiritually, I didn't take what I could have taken, but I raised support to minister to you so that nothing got in the way of me ministering to you. See, if you got leaders that don't ever, or people who are never willing to make a sacrifice so that the gospel's hearable to you, but always emphasizing what you have to give to them, you're under false leadership. You're under false leadership. And, and, and so Paul said, I robbed other churches. The last point, and I'm out your way. Satan always makes deception look, feel, and seem convincing. Always. Look at what it says. He says, and what... I am doing, I will continue to do in order to undermine the, cl the claim of those who would claim that in their, uh, in their boasted mission, their work is the same as we do. I I'm going to tell you right now, I don't have a problem saying that. You understand what I'm saying? Because there is a falsity that's happening in the church and among these people who will call themselves in the church that aren't really authentic churches. I'll make it plain in a second. He calls them several things that I think is beautiful, that he calls a spade a spade. First, he calls them false apostles. Now, what's interesting is apostle, it, it, the word is pseudo-apostolos. Uh, 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 and what it means is you're not, you're false apostles. Apostle means someone who was sent forth. So if you put pseudo or false in the front of it, that means they were falsely saying that they were sent by the Lord. So, 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 so I know that in our day, we don't have that type of thing or people walking around who's saying that they're apostles, um, but they're not, even though an apostle had to see the resurrected Jesus or saw his ministry. But I know a lot of people are walking around calling themselves apostles in our day when in here it would say, let me give you one more thing. <laughs> he said deceitful workmen. 
In other words, they act like they're doing ministry, but they're just trying to get stuff from you. Let me, let me see if I can make a plan. When I listen to these people that say they left the church, I'm like, I'm ready to give me some good information about why you left. So I'm listening to it. They were about money. I was like, okay. Everything was built around the pastor and his wife. Okay. Um, they only did this. They didn't do any outreach. They didn't do. And I'm like, man, I was like, that don't sound like the church to me. You may have left something, but you didn't leave the church. In other words, tell me, man, they were really preaching the gospel. I didn't agree with that. They were spending time in biblical community with one another. It seemed a little cultic, but they loved one another. And they spent time when somebody had a need, they took care of the need. As a matter of fact, they did clothing drives for people, and that was confusing to me. And um, they planted churches in Africa. That was confusing to me. They built schools. They planted churches in different poor neighborhoods just to get money. Why would you plant a church in a poor neighborhood to get... I mean... I'm just... I'm so confused by that. You understand what I'm saying? And so when we look through, as Paul begins to do this and engages in this man, we, we have, not only do we know we have the truth, but we get to proclaim and show that we're not deceived because we have the real Jesus. And the thing I love about all of this, you know what I love about all this? Jesus is used to being ridiculed. He's, I'm closing. He's used to being ridiculed. His birth was said to be a bastard birth by the Pharisees in John chapter 8. So even his birth, they had issues with. His ministry, they had issues with. They said Jesus was a drunkard and spent time with sinners, talking to them about the kingdom while drinking wine. Accused of unfaithfulness to the word, accused of being demon-possessed, he was accused of being a blasphemer. He died a sinner's death, placed in an expensive grave, and raised from the grave on the third day, accused of being a ghost, accused of being a, not a historical person, or a, a being a white European, a myth, and a creation of the oppressors. Now, I, I don't know about that Jesus, because that person doesn't exist. Whenever they post a picture of, a, 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 of that guy's son online saying, this is who you worship, I don't know who that is. But if I had a little bit of time... I would tell you exactly who I worship. And the reason why I worship him is because I'm glad that I will never have to worry about deception. I'm glad that God has made a way for me out of no way. But I know that that's not enough. So maybe I can talk to some Christians and maybe you'll know who he is. I know him as the bright and morning star. I know him as the most holy one. I know him as a Nazarene. I know him as the only begotten of the Father, the only wise God. He's the only blessed potentate. He's the precious cornerstone. He's the prince of life. He's my ransom. He's my redeemer. He's the resurrection and the life. Y'all know him, don't you? He's the ruler of Israel. He's my salvation. He's my sanctification. He's my scepter. He's my second Adam. Let me see if I can call the role. He's Adam's redeemer. He's Abel's vindicator. He's Abraham's sacrifice. He's Noah's ark. 
He's Moses' bush on fire. He's Joshua's captain. He's Gideon's fleece. He's Samson's power. He's David's music. He's Solomon's wisdom. He's Jeremiah's bomb in Gilead. He's Ezekiel's wheel in the middle of the wheel. He's David's son of man. He's Ezekiel's wheel within the middle of the wheel. He's Matthew's king. He's Mark's suffering servant. He's Luke's great physician. He's John's word made flesh. Y'all know him, don't you? He's Acts coming of the Holy Ghost. If you don't know him that way, he's my way maker. He's my lawyer in a courtroom. He is my doctor in the hospital. He's my clothes when I'm naked. He's my food when I'm hungry. Y'all know him, don't you? When I was sinking uh, deep in sin, sinking uh, to rise no more. But the master of the sea, he heard my despairing cry. From the waters, from the waters, he lifted me. Not say, not say, I know he's all right. Y'all don't hear me today. I know he's all right. He's God of gods. He's the prince of the universe. He's the superstar of eternity. He's the caller into nothing. And something had to obey. He's the heart fixer. He's a mind regulator. He's my soldier. He's my warrior. He's my captain. Y'all know him, don't you? I know he's all right. And I'm so glad that one old Friday, uh, they hung him high and they stretched him wide. Uh, and he died, didn't he die? Because he dropped his head in the locks of his shoulders. And it was quiet all night Friday. It was quiet all night Saturday. But early Sunday morning, he got up with all power in his hands. And he's coming back for a pure church. He's coming back for a holy church. He's coming back for a beautiful church. He's coming back for a sanctified church. He's coming back. Are you ready? Are you ready? I'm so glad that we're not under deception, but we're under the truth of the one who is undebunkable. And I pray that you continue in the Lord with strength and with encouragement. Every head bow and every eye closed. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus as Savior. What a wonderful thing to know the one who can't be debunked. The burden of proof is on everybody else. We already got the proof. An empty tomb. If you're here today and you've never placed your confidence in Jesus Christ, put your confidence in him on the cross, Jesus is the answer for transformation. 
is a glorious king and a matchless servant. The Bible says that God made him who knew no sin become sin on our behalf. <laughs> In other words, we deserve separation from God under his wrath for eternity. But Jesus Christ came to do only what he can do. And guess what that is? To die for our sins. God placed his anger towards our sin and our sins on him. He put his, our sins, past, present, and future on Jesus and pleased to crush him because of what his life would do. And he got up from the grave with all power in his hands. And I'm so glad that he got up with all power in his hands. And in having all power in his hands, he's coming back one day. He's coming back and he's going to separate sheep from goats. Sheep are those who know him. Goats are those who don't. You know how you can become a sheep? I know in these communities out here, they say stop being sheep. But everyone he wants to be their own leader. But no one can stand before God's throne and claim anything as their own leader. You need, you need a mediator. Job even said, I wish that I had a mediator for somebody to speak on my behalf. But there's only one mediator that mediates between God and man. Jesus is not merely a parole officer. He's the acquitter. And so if you're here today, you're here today, and you want to be pardoned by the president of the universe, he has the privilege of pardon, a greater pardon from one thing like this president has, our presidents have always had, but he pardons from every sin that you've ever committed. If you're here today and want to put your confidence in Jesus, stand, and we'd love to talk to you about Jesus. Flip your hand in the air.